You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjacks.com. Okay. Morning. Um, so, as Ali introduced, my name's David. I, I'm on staff here, and I, can't, I head up the worship uh, department, the worship team, and um, uh, most of you will know, but some of you who are visiting might not, that um, I'm from England. Um, yeah, um, and me and my wife and uh, and my family, we moved here three months ago now, so we've been here three months, and uh, we are having the most amazing time. We are, we're really enjoying ourselves. We love it here. It's hot, and uh, <laughs> we, we like that. We like that. I mean, we've had enough rain. Um, and we're just adapting. We're just, we're just getting used to you know, the, the various... Well, I didn't realize just how many language differences there were. You know, you, I've, I've watched, you know, movies all my life and American TV all my life, so I knew there were some differences, but it's, I, I am overwhelmed with just how many words you guys say that we don't say. And you've got this word, you've got this word, y'all, which um, is just this all-encompassing, wonderful invention. Um, and uh, I love it. I'm using it all the time, y'all. And... Um, and there's, there's other ones that we're getting used to with, um, with trousers and pants. There's a whole, you know, your pants don't mean our pants. So when people say, that, you know, oh, I'm, I'm going to, you know, uh, take off my pants, that means something very different in England. Um, and one that I found out the other day, one that I found out the other day was um, I was talking to a woman and she said, and she was talking about she got really scared or really like um, frightened by something and she was like, oh, it gave me the willies. And in England, that means something totally different. So, you know, it means something very, very different. Um, so, you know, if you don't understand that, then Google, well, actually don't Google that, that's not probably wise. So, if I, if I say some stuff and you feel like you, you're not quite understanding what I'm saying, then um, let, why don't we just all agree to presume that it's either something very clever or, uh, <laughs> or very funny that you don't understand. But enough nonsense. Why don't, we, why don't we just pray quickly? And Holy Spirit, we thank you for being here. We thank you for all that you've already done in us and through us and with us this morning. And we just pray now that we would be open to everything that you have for us. Everything you have for us to learn, everything you have for us to experience, all that you want to teach us about yourself. We invite you now. Amen. I grew grew up in a Christian home. Uh, My parents were Christians. Well, they are still Christians, I think. And uh, and I grew up in a Christian home. I did all the kind of things that, that Christian children do. I went to church and, you know, colored in pictures of Moses and uh, other people with beards um, and had that typical Christian upbringing. But when I was like, when I was a teenager, when I was about 15, I, I went away to a summer camp, I think called Soul Survivor, and I really experienced God there for the first time. You know, it was like all this stuff that I'd learned about. And I'd always known that God was with me and I'd always believed that God was real, but I had this encounter, this experience of God. And from that point on, I, I just wasn't the same. And I imagine that, that there would be other people here with similar stories to that. And I decided from that point on to, that this was going to be my faith. It wasn't just going to be my parents' faith. It was going to be my faith. And I was going to take it on. I was going to go for it. Um, and so here I am, 16 or so years later. And, um, and, and like many people, I kind of still don't feel like I'm a great Christian. 
like, you know, I'm sure many people here feel that way, that like, you know, you've been a Christian for a long time. You've been a Christian or, or perhaps you've been on this journey with God for, for a long time, but yet you still maybe often feel like a second or third rate Christian. You feel like, you know, maybe just not up to scratch, just not quite where you'd hoped you would be. And when that, in that experience of when you, you fir- your faith first came alive and it first came on fire and you kind of imagined what the road would look like and you imagined what you would see happen in your life and you imagined all the amazing things that you would do for God and it hasn't quite panned out that way and that's left you feeling maybe just second rate, third rate, like a, an inadequate Christian, an inadequate disciple and, and today what I want to talk about is is the shame that comes with that and the sense of shame that many of us feel like that we're not the Christian that we should be, that we're not the disciple of Jesus that we'd hoped we would be. And, um, and so we're going to concentrate. And I'm not, not going to concentrate so much on sin and the shame dealt with sin. I think I've, I've heard lots of talks about that before, you know, that when we sin we feel shame and dealing with that. I, what I want to talk more about is, is not the... It's not the shame of the sinners that we are, but it's the shame of the saints that we're not. Yeah? So it's, it's more to do with what we've not done than the bad things we have done. The good things we've not seen than the bad things that we've done. And you know, I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I've got quite good at dealing with the shame of sin, but not so much with dealing with the shame of feeling like a second-rate Christian. So what do I mean by shame? What I don't mean is guilt. Guilt is feeling bad when you've done something or haven't done something, right? Guilt is a feeling, a feeling bad about the thing you did or the thing you didn't do, right? That's guilt. Regret is wishing that it had been different, yeah? So I'm not talking about regret either. I'm not talking about wishing things had been different. And, and some, some sense of regret is good often, I think. You know, we don't want to live there. That's not the place where we want to live. But, you know, having momentary regret that you should have done something that you should have done or you didn't do something you didn't do, that's a healthy thing. But what I'm talking about is shame. And guilt and regret are issues of responsibility. When you feel guilty, it's because you feel responsible for something that you did or didn't do. But shame is something different. Shame isn't about responsibility. Shame is about identity. And, and, sh- and shame is about feeling bad about who you are, not guilt, which is about what you did, yeah, or didn't do. And so dealing with shame is about dealing with the sense of feeling bad about who you are. Shame is about identity. And the way the Bible often talks about shame is like a cloak or a cover, about being covered in shame, cloaked with shame. And it's that sense that what shame does is that shame rests upon us and hides our true identity. It rests upon us and it hides our true identity. But that's not God's intention. In Genesis, right, right in the beginning, right in the first couple of chapters of the Bible, shame is mentioned. And it's mentioned when God has made Adam and Eve in Genesis 2. And in verse 25 it says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. God's intention for our lives, for our beings, for who we are, is not to feel shame. We weren't made to feel shame. We were made to feel shameless of who we are. And it's, it's interesting that as soon as 
Adam and Eve feel shame, the first thing they do is that they cover up themselves. They cover up themselves. They feel shame of what they did and they cover up themselves. As immediately their identity is questioned. Their identity, their very being is questioned. And they are ashamed, not simply of what they did, but of who they are. Yeah? And that the immediate reaction is not being ashamed of what they did, but who they are. And that's how shame works. It makes us feel bad about ourselves. It makes us feel weak. It makes us feel like we're second rate. Like we're no good. But it wasn't God's intention for that to be that way. And, and we see throughout Scripture, and, and even before the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, God deals with shame. And in the Psalms it says, in Psalm 34 verse 5 it says, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces are never covered with shame. It's interesting there, because often when we think about shame, we think, well, what we need to get rid of shame is we need the blood of Jesus to get rid of shame. But in the Psalms here, it doesn't say that. What the Psalm says here is that if you look to him, you will, fear, you will have no shame. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces will never be covered with shame. Shame is never God's intention. Shame is never something that he puts on you. There's not once in scripture does God put shame on a person. We put it on ourselves. We put it on ourselves. And we put it on each other. An awful lot. But we put it on ourselves. But there is no shame in who you are in God. You were made to be his. You were made to be near him. You were made to look at him. You were made to dwell with him. There is no shame in who you were made to be. So how does that express itself? Let's start to get a bit more specific. How does this come around? How, does this, how do these feelings and these sense of shame come around? And I don't know about you, but... Okay, who, who, here, who here thinks they read the Bible too much? <laughs> Not Antley. <laughs> who here thinks they read the Bible too much? I've never met anyone who thinks, do you know what? I think I probably read it too much. I should probably read some other books. Or I should probably, you know, get out more. No, 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 no Christian feels like that. No follower of Jesus feels like they read the Bible too much. And all of us have this, you know, sense that we could know more. We could know our Bibles better. We could study scripture better. We could oh, just know more, understand more, remember more. And so many people feel this shame that they can't remember. You know, I, I know people who read their Bible every day, but they feel this cloud and this cloak of shame because they're just not very good at remembering where the bits were. Is that you? You know, you just, like, I read it all the time, but I just can't remember where I read that bit. And we feel this shame that we can't remember that thing. And so what, what happens is, is that we get in conversations with people, and, you know, they'll say, oh, that's just like in Luke 5. And you go, yeah, that's just like, yeah, Luke 5. <laughs> That's a good one, Luke 5. I've always thought Luke 5. About this situation that we're talking about, Luke 5 is the one. You know, and you pretend, don't you? You just like, you know, because you feel ashamed. Like, I don't know what Luke 5 is. You know, I, I, I imagine Jesus is in that bit because I, I know that he's in the Gospels. But I, 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 you know, and you don't remember. You don't remember. And I'm not saying that it's, oh, it's fine, you know, that we shouldn't be reading our Bibles. That's the opposite of what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that it's fantastic and that... And actually, where does that shame come from? It comes from a shame of wanting to know more, doesn't it? it it's that God-given desire 
to know more of his scripture and to know more. And we feel this desire that we should know more and I want to know more and I love to know more of his scripture and his word. But, we, but the enemy twists it to make us feel shame, to make us feel shame that we don't. And we just feel bad about ourselves that we just don't know the one scripture that they were talking about or whatever or similar situations. Who here feels like they pray too much? No one? No, same thing. It's the same thing. We all wish that we prayed more. We all wish that we had a greater relationship with God, that we were more connected with him, that, we, that our first instinct was always prayer. But so often, we again feel shame that we don't do that. We, and that God-given instinct to pray and to connect with him and to, and to seek him first gets twisted and we feel ashamed that we don't pray as much as we'd like to. In a, in a church like this, where we're, we're so often encouraging people to share their stories with their friends and the family and neighbours and um, people in the workplace, we, we, we do that, we encourage people to do it. Why? Because it's great. But I don't know about you, but I, feel, you know, I often feel incredible shame about the fact that I'm really, really bad at doing that. Am I the only one who's really bad at doing that? I don't think so. I'm really bad at it. I'm just, you know, I'm quite, a, I, I, I don't like talking to people anyway, let alone, you know, talking to people about Jesus. Like, if, even just talking to people is a good step for me, let alone the gospel. It's like, like, and I find it hard and, you know, and I can count, I can count, I can count, I've been a Christian, really going for it with the Lord and been really passionate about this stuff, about mission, about telling people about Jesus for, I don't, I don't know, like 15, 16 years. And I can count on my hands how many people I've seen come to know the Lord. I can count on my hands how many people I personally have had, you know, have brought to the Lord. And in a situation like this, and in a church like this, and in, where we have such an emphasis on that, they can feel this sense of shame. I'm just no good at that. I'm no good at that. And I don't, you know, that's how I felt over the years. I felt this sense of shame. I'm just not up to scratch. I'm just not an amazing evangelist. I'm just not great at telling people about Jesus. But I want to. I do. I desperately want to do that. I'm just no good at it. And this inbuilt desire to share the gospel, to share the love of God, gets twisted. Gets twisted by the enemy. And he says, you, you're just rubbish. You're just a bad Christian. You just feel, you know, and this shame comes and this cloak comes upon us. And it's the same with other things. It's the same with healing. I just long to see more people healed. And I, you know, and I, I, I feel ashamed that I, I've not seen more people healed. It's the same with you know, the spiritual gifts, with prophecy, with speaking in tongues. You know, often, we, often we see other people do these things. We either see other people speak in tongues or prophesy. And we kind of think, I, don't, I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. And then we feel like a second-rate Christian, like they're a first-rate Christian because they can do these things. And we feel like we're not as good. We're not as good. We feel ashamed about who we are. We feel like bad disciples. We feel like failed Christians. We feel like ineffective hypocrites a lot of the time. And that's where we end up. And there are three reactions to feeling this way. I've noticed there are three reactions to feeling this way. The first is this. The first is that you give up. So you, you just get so fed up about feeling ashamed that you don't know scripture, that you don't, 
you haven't seen hundreds of people become Christians, that you don't heal everyone you pray for. You feel so ashamed about that, you just give up. You just think, well, I'm not going to bother anymore. I'm just not, you know, I can't keep up. I just can't hit the standards. I'm just going to give up. And, you know, and I've seen it. I've felt it in my own heart and I've felt it in my own life and I've seen it in others and a slip towards apathy and a slip towards cynicism. A slip towards being critical and just, you know, throwing stones from afar because safe in the knowledge that, you know, well, I'm never going to achieve that, so I'm not even going to pretend. So that's the first reaction you can have to shame is that you give up. The second reaction and this is probably a more common one, is that you make it up. You begin to make it up. You begin to pretend that you are this person, that you're not. And we channel all our efforts and all our energies into convincing others that we are the spiritual person or we are this great man or woman of God. And that's where so much of our energy goes into, that we are the Bible scholar that we pretend to be. We are the prayer warrior. We are the friend of the poor that we pretend to be. And so we highlight those stories. So, so like, we're always trying to highlight all those amazing things that we do. You, you know, you just casually drop into conversation. And, you know, and I'm sure we've all done this. It's like, yes, I was just spending time with God this morning. Uh, it was between 5 and 7 a.m. Well, that's two hours if you hadn't worked that out. And... Um, <laughs> Which is a long time and is quite early in the morning, if you still hadn't worked that out. So, do you know what I mean? We've all been there. We've all kind of like just dropped in that we spent some time with God. Or we just all just dropped into conversation. Oh yeah, well, yeah, I got this prophetic word for someone and it was spot on. And um, uh, you might not have done it as English as that, but um, uh, spot on. That was a bit Hugh Grant. Um, <laughs> You know, but, we, but we've all done it. Or, or, or when we do know a Bible verse, we do know, we, know, we know the one verse that is written in the front of our Bibles. So we, we know that one verse that someone prayed over us once. And so we, like, we quote that one all the time because it's the one we know. And, um, you know, off, off, not because, not, you know, often because we just want to give this impression that we are a good Christian. And our energies and our efforts go into making that appearance, that facade. And what ends up happening is that we get into this vicious cycle where we act like that and then we feel even more ashamed that we act like that because we know it's not real. We know that we don't know our scripture as well as we pretend we do. We don't pray as often as we pretend we do. And so there comes this cycle of shame and you feel shame about the shame and it just is layer upon layer upon layer of shame and so you just end up working these this really intricate um, life where you're just trying to convince everyone all the time that you're this person on the outside when you know what's happening on the inside and the and the thing that really happens in that scenario the thing that happens to us when we act like that and this, uh, and this is the tragic thing, is that it, it totally hinders our relationship with God because we know he knows. Right? We know he knows. We know he knows we've not prayed. We know he knows that we don't tell people about Jesus. We know he knows that we don't pray for healing. We know he knows that. And so what do we do? We avoid him. And we seek to hide. And we hide in our cloaks of shame. And we feel bad about who we are. We don't feel worthy. We don't feel 
like we should come near to him. We don't feel like we can come near to him. We feel like we're too far away. We feel like we're too much of a fraud. We feel like we're, we're just so far away that we can't come back. It's a vicious circle. But there's a third response. The first is that you can give up. The second is that you can just start making it up. And the third is that you can lift it up. And the shame that you feel, you can come to God and lift it up. One of my favorite passages in Scripture and, um, is, is Isaiah 61. And in Isaiah 61, um, and Jesus quotes this in, in Matthew. He, it's just... It's, it's, it's Jesus' mission statement, Isaiah 61, where he, he talks about proclaiming the good news, set, binding up the brokenhearted, to pro- proclaiming freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to comfort those who mourn, to grieve with those who grieve. And it's this amazing mission statement. And many of you will be familiar with that passage, right, in Isaiah 61. And, and I've spent so much time in my life in that and believing it and going for it. But it wasn't until quite recently that I noticed that there's this verse in the middle of this, in, in, in this mission statement about all the things that I want to do. I want to do those things. I want to be good news to the poor. I want to bind up the brokenhearted. I want to set the captives free. In the middle of all this, in this chapter about all the things that I long to do and love to see and would love to see happen, there's this verse. And this verse is verse 7. Isaiah 61 verse 7, it says this. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy. I feel so much shame that I don't do all these things that I'm passionate about. And the Lord just comes and says, instead of your shame, you will have an inheritance. Instead of your shame, I will give you your true identity as a child of God. As a child of the Father. Instead of your shame, I will give you what is rightfully yours. What you always had, a shameless existence. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. We bring to him, this is the third response, we bring to him our shame. We bring to him our disgrace. We bring to him those feelings of inadequacy. Those feelings of being, feeling like second rate feeling like a hypocrite, feeling ineffective. We bring to him all our shame, all our disgrace. And he swaps it. He changes it up. And he gives us everlasting joy. That's a good deal. Yeah? Right there, that's a good deal. That's a snap it up right now, bite your hand off, good deal. That is the life he has chosen for us. That is the life that is prepared for us. That is the life that we are entitled to. 
And often we don't feel entitled to those things. We feel like we need to achieve it. We need to do those things in order to have that life, right? We feel like we need to do all those things to have the everlasting joy. We feel like we need to achieve that level of spirituality. We need to achieve that level of holiness. We need to achieve that level and then that life will be ours. But that's not what scripture says. What scripture says is you give me your shame, all of your shame, all of your disgrace, all of your dishonor, all of your inadequacy and straight away right there I give you everlasting joy. I give you an inheritance. It is never too late. It is never too late for us. We are never too far away. We are not useless. We are not fruitless. We are not second rate. We are children of God. And slap bang in this middle of this chapter which Jesus uses as his mission statement is this wonderful invitation to offer up our shame. And to, and to take hold of the life that he has for us. And so I'm learning. I'm learning to just not feel ashamed about what I don't know. But just to seek to know more. Not to be ashamed about the, the bits of the Bible that I can't remember. But just look to remember more. Not to feel ashamed about how few people I've seen become Christians. But just to keep trying keep going for it not to be worried about how few people i've seen healed but just to keep praying for healing because it's an issue of identity it's not an issue of responsibility these things are an issue of identity and we are entitled to these things as children of god that's what scripture tells us And that sounds so simple, doesn't it? And I don't know about you, but when I think about it, I think it can't be that simple, can it? That just sounds too easy. We give him our shame and disgrace and he gives us everlasting joy. That, you know, that's not how it works. That, that seems pretty easy. That seems a little too straightforward. That seems too simple. It's got to be more complicated than that. That's just got to be a paraphrase. That's got to be... A simplified version of how it works. And the truth is, is it isn't at all. It isn't at all. Every day we bring him our shame and every day we receive everlasting joy. Every day we bring to him our false sense of identity and we, re- we receive our true identity in him, in God, in Christ. Our identity is our authority. Our identity in him as children of God is our authority to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release the darkness from prisoners, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve. That is our authority. Our authority is not in how good a Christian we are, but in who we were made to be and who he says we are in him. And the power to do that is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that we see move is his. But the authority that he gives us is ours. He gives us his authority because we were made to be like him. 
We were made, made to be like him. We were made to move in his authority. He's trusted us with that. He, trusted, he trusts that with you, not because you've earned it, not because you're a good Christian, but because you are you. Because he made you in the image of God. He trusts you because of who he made you to be, not because of what you've done or what you could do or what you might do if you, you know, it's, it, it, the authority doesn't come from your good day where you do pray and you do read the Bible and you do pray for the person who needs prayer. Your authority doesn't come on the good day, it comes every day. It comes every day. We can give up. We can live lives that make it up, that pretend, or we can lift it up. And we can take our sense of shame and our inadequacy, and we can remove those cloaks, we can remove those covers, and we can lay them down and receive the everlasting joy. And I think so often what I've done before is that I've taken the cloaks off, and then I've put them on again, further down the road. But what we need to learn to do is to take them off and then receive what God is offering us in return. It's not enough just to take off the cloak of shame because eventually you'll put it back on again. You need to be wearing something else. Clothes of righteousness, clothes of love, clothes of holiness that he adorns us with. He gives us for free this everlasting joy this double portion, this inheritance in our land. It's a good deal. Why don't we stand together and we're going to...